Welcome once again to the Lucky Mojo Voodoo Root Work Hour, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com. I'm your announcer, Reverend James, of FolkConjure.com in North Carolina, and in just a moment, we'll be joined by our co-hosts, Catherine Ironwood of LuckyMojo.com in Forestville, California, and Conjureman of ConjuremanConsulting.com in Mission Viejo, California. This week, we welcome a special guest, Mama E of ConjureDoctor.com in Los Angeles, bringing us today's topic of generational and ancestral curses. They will take your calls and offer advice to address, ameliorate, and remediate your questions and problems about love, money, career, and spiritual protection using traditional African-American folk magic practices of voodoo, conjure, or root work as divined and prescribed by the greatest spiritual voodooists of our time. You can learn a lot just by listening, but if you're selected from among those who have signed up at the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com and called into the show, then you'll be on the air and receive a free consultation. We'll be going to the phones in just a moment, but first let's catch up with our co-hosts, Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman. Miss Kat? Hi. It's so nice to be back here after our vacation. I want to, uh, of course, if you just tuned in and haven't listened for a while, you missed our vacation. <laughs> but uh, I want to start <laughs> off by thanking Conjurman and everyone else who helped put the show together while we were gone. And um, truth to tell, this is the first vacation that Nagashiva and I have taken in three years, so we didn't feel too guilty about it. But uh, we were at the National Garden Railway Convention in Santa Clara, California, and we were also hosting a garden layout that people arrived in, you know, those big old luxury buses, those coaches, to come and see our little railroad layout, and then we went around on other days to other people's layouts, and there were about 70 layouts open. And so you'd go on a bus and drive around Mm -hmm. to other people's houses, and you'd find their train setups. Now, what people don't know, they don't understand what I'm talking about, I'm sure. A garden railway is a garden with a railway in the middle of it, and we usually use what's called large-scale or G-scale, G standing for garden, naturally, Mm-hmm. Um, G-scale G layouts. These are larger than those little HO tabletop layouts and larger than those O layouts that run around the house on a perimeter, um, you know, in the in the rooms. These are outdoor layouts, and we have buildings, we have little figures of people, and we have living plants. And so to have those living plants, they have to be kept at bonsai size. We have to keep on trimming them and keeping them root pruned and top pruned and so they're all miniatures and of course we find natural miniature plants as well and most railroads like this tell a story they're usually set in an era ours is in the steam era between 1917 and 1941 in other words um, between world war one and world war two and we have agriculture and we have uh, mining of quartz crystals and that's our Of course, we have a little town and all things like that. That's what we do. And if you want to know more about garden railroading or garden railways, just look it up. Um, You'll find a lot. It's a lot of fun if you have an eye for modeling, electrical engineering, bonsai gardening, or whatever. (laughs) Um, We're your folks. (laughs) It's a really weird combination of three things, trains, um, plants, or gardens, and evidences of humanity that are not trains, such as little people, little animals, little doll houses. 
So that's what I was doing. Boy, was it intense. It was. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. I am so tired. It was hot. The, the four hottest consecutive days in the history of the earth happened to coincide with this Garden Railway Convention. And I lived through them. And it was hot out there. But I'm glad to be back. I have opened up um, a new page, which I think is important because it relates to a show that we did uh, last year at this very time. It was a show on kinesiology, a.k.a. kinesthesiology, a.k.a. muscle testing. And this is a form of divination and self-healing. And I put a little version of that page up online and uh, told people they could find it. And it has now been open to the public. So if you missed it, you can go to it. And certainly Nagashiva will be able to find that page. It's at Your Weight and Fate, which is a website I have about divination methods. And he's rapidly searching right now, I'm sure. And this publication of the uh, webpage was made possible by my patrons who pay $2 a week to uh, read what I write, whether it's about garden railroading or whether it's about obscure forms of divination. And having gone over the page, you know, just fixing typos and looking at it again, I have finally decided it will be a 96-page book. So hurrah, hooray, wow. <laughs> another 96-page book. Like most divination books, probably won't sell a lot, but I want to teach the things I know before um, they are forgotten or I'm forgotten. And spiritual kinesiology, or whatever you want to call it, is that's its problem. That's its real problem. No one can agree on the name it has. Um, so it's got so many names. But... I'm going to be writing more about it. I've already spent the whole weekend uh, since we got back from the uh, convention writing more on this book. So look for that book within the next year or so. That's what I've been doing. How about you, Conjurman? Well, things have been going quite well. Happy to have you all back and happy that it was a uh, very successful uh, day off, well-deserved one, as you mentioned, last week. Uh, I've been trying to stay cool as heat waves have been sort of coming in. From what I hear, this coming week is going to be really hot as well, hitting in the 90s and perhaps even all the triple digits. Uh, so stay cool, everyone. Uh, lots of... Uh, Wet towels that you can place on the back of your neck or on your forehead to keep yourself cool. Or if you're like me and shave your head, you can place it on top of your head and remain really, really cool. Um, I've uh, I was just the other day I was seeing uh, I saw a little clip of a video of a kid who had taken a fan and placed it in such a way around his uh, um, uh, basically blanket on his bed, if you will, so that it created a little cool cave. The fan would kind of blow into the bed sheet uh, and create this little this little uh, cool area, and they were just hanging out there. And I remember that I did something very similar when I was growing up. Uh, I lived in, in uh, the, the East Coast, where it has the absolute worst summers. People always talk about the winters, but the summers are actually quite incredible on the East Coast. Uh, 
incredibly humid, and that was one of the few ways that you can keep cool. So be sure to stay nice and cool. Doing lots of work uh, around love right now, uh, just as the weather is heating up, so too does people's love life uh, seem to be heating up a little bit, and people are asking for lots of uh, spice and love and desire. It is interesting that in previous years, a lot of the sort of summer of love season, as you and I have called it, Ms. Gad, was really mm-hmm. about uh, finding hot love, if you will, right? Like, I want to get laid, I want to have a fling, I want to enjoy my summer, I want to feel hot and good and, and all, all that sort of stuff. But it, I would say in the past couple of years, and maybe it's a pandemic effect, uh, more and more the summer of love is really about, I want to find someone who uh, is not kidding around, is ready to be with me. I'm looking for someone who's really serious about love. I'm looking for so there's a sort of tonal shift that's changed from sort of the hookup spirit, which is there's nothing wrong with that, to this much more serious. And I'm not I'm not sure if that's because people are more like uh, we've wasted two years in lockdown. I'm ready to move forward, or or maybe they there's still lots of uh, hot summer of love going on, and only this serious one's interested in commitment are coming my way. But I've definitely noticed a sort of tonal shift this summer in regards to the type of love clients coming my way. Well, good for you. That's that's good news. I've been finding um, that I've been having a lot of people still wanting to change jobs. For some reason, really? those are the people, yeah, people seeking me out. Should I change my job? Should I change my job? Maybe um, that's that's something about me that, that attracts that kind of a client. I have, of course, there's always the love clients. But, um, but yeah, it's about the jobs right now. So, <laughs> um, today is have a little talk with our dear friend, Mama E. And mm-hmm. so, for those of you don't, who don't know Mama E, she is a longtime practitioner and uh, is at home at, at um, Dr. E. Products and at the uh, Church of the Orishas, Santeria Church of the Orishas. So I'm going to bring her on here. Our topic today um, we'll get to in a moment, but first let's just hear from Mama E. How are you doing today, Mama E.? Welcome. I'm doing great. Thank you. Hi. Hi, everybody. It's lovely hearing you. Um, I'm doing well. Thank goodness, everything is uh, working out. Uh, we do have uh, this summer here because Conjurman and I live in the same area. So, yes, mm-hmm. summer has arrived and the AC is on. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but no, everything is going well. And it's interesting that you were, um, you were talking about love spells and Kat was mm-hmm. talking about people looking for jobs. I'm getting a lot of reversal work. I mean, oh, everybody, reversal, reversal, reversal. I mean, I'm buying reversal candles by the truckload. It's crazy. So, hmm. um, yeah, there there seems to be, uh, you know, something going on where people, like, got fed up. <laughs> and everyone is sending everything back. So, you know. It is what it is, and we are just there to, you know, help them and light candles for them. But, you know, um, aside from that, uh, everything is going well, um, and uh, the shop is busy as usual, and I'm enjoying it as long as I can because I'm not getting any younger. But, um, 
you know, I, I look at it as a way to keep my brain active and not mm-hmm. staying in the house, you know, sitting here watching Netflix so um, <laughs> or on Facebook. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, I enjoy interacting with different people. So, so that's, that's very cool. So um, interestingly enough, the reason for today's, um, you know, uh, generational and ancestral curses was due to clients mm. that oh. had them, yes. So, um, you know, that's how I came up with this because I had to personally research about it. Um, usually people talk about generational and ancestral curses like it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And colloquially, we say we use the same words, but they're not the same. So, um, which is can you? Quite can, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in right here. I'm waiting for you to define the difference between an ancestral curse and a generational yeah. curse. Let's just get right into mm-hmm. our topic. And I agree yeah. with you. Before you start, many people think of them as exactly the same, and yeah. they're not. So, why don't you no. tell us about the difference between a generational curse? And an ancestral curse. Mm. Okay. A generational curse is something that is passed down from one generation to the other, but it's mostly um, an inadequacy. There's something wrong in the family, but the family maintains that uh, belief that oh, yeah, everyone in the family is going to go through this, and this is going to mm-hmm. happen to everyone in the family. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a toxic uh, thinking process where everyone is, where as soon as their children, they're, you know, they're being told, oh, honey, we're never going to get out of here. You know, our grandparents were poor, and we're here, and we'll continue to struggle. Or everyone in our family gets divorced. You know, mm-hmm. all the all the women, they all lose their husbands. The men leave their wives. Or let's mm-hmm. see, uh, oh, so-and-so uh, was into drugs. And, you know, his kids were into drugs and their kids were into drugs. And it's a curse in our family that we have so many addicts. And we know that there are reasons for a lot of these things, medical reasons. But in their mind, it's, uh, it's a generational issue, and there's nothing that can be due to fix it. Now, I, I'm gonna, and, can I, I just want to jump in on this because there's something here that's important for listeners to understand. A generational curse, as I see it, is passed down in the family. It can be a shared belief. Yeah. It can be a toxic yeah. belief. Yeah. But it is the emotional or spiritual equivalent of a defective DNA mutation. And it may Mm. even be by a DNA mutation, such as the tendency toward addiction. But what Mm -hmm. you really hear so much is no one in our family goes to college. You know, Mm -hmm. um, no no man that you marry will stay with you. Um, We all have to go on welfare because the men won't pay Mm -hmm. child support. These right. are these are um, almost written in a sort of a epigenetic uh, belief system, and you see yes. it so often. And when you are, and since the show is partially for people who are learning to be better readers, 
If you, mm-hmm. as a reader, have a client who's, and you ask them, how long has this been going on? Mm-hmm. And they tell you, this has happened to my mother, my aunt, my grandmother, my nephew, my niece, mm-hmm. or whatever. You begin to see it's a generational curse. Often, the client will pick one person who's currently alive to be the villain of the piece. Oh, it's it's cousin so-and-so. She curses everybody. But then mm-hmm. when you ask, but what, what about cousin so-and-so? Doesn't she have a trouble with um, getting a job? Well, yeah, her too. So it, sometimes there's a, a scapegoat, a named scapegoat, and they often will call and ask, will you do a reading? Who in my family is cursing all of us? Mm-hmm. But if you ask them, did your grandmother have this? Did your great-grandmother have this situation? It'll often be yes. So that's my comment on generational mm-hmm. curses and how to mm-hmm. uh, diagnose them. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. Um, and they can be broken. Generational curses can be broken because um, it's not that anyone has cursed anyone. People always go that route, like you say, to blame somebody. But it's mm-hmm. a belief. It's a generational belief that they think this is going to happen to the next person. It could be the silliest thing, but it goes on and on and on. And, you know, every uh, generational uh, or ancestral curse sometimes doesn't go in a linear manner. They do go uh, via DNA. They do. At least the ancestral curses are through DNA. Uh, but it could be a grandfather, um, one of his sons, and then a niece from another son, so it kind of it can skip sometimes a generation, and it can skip hmm. the lineage, but stay stay within the family. But it could be like a zigzag instead of a straight line. But um, generational curses are easier. Well, easier because I don't have one, but they're easier to. Uh, they can be broken because it's hmm. a toxic pattern. And that can be broken, but the person needs to be aware of it. So uh, the first thing is to admit that there's a problem and what are they doing about it. And my advice is to get professional help. And Mm -hmm. you can get, um, you know, psychiatric and uh, spiritual help. A counselor can help you understand and a root worker will help you by uh, showing you how to uncross yourself and also by giving you the spiritual strength you will need to fulfill your goal. Even let's say that you are an alcoholic and you come from a family of alcoholics. We know where that comes from, you know, medically, but they still need counselors and they still can benefit from spiritual strength. And, you know, my thought is on crossing paths and then using, like, um, crucible of courage baths or men and women's power baths, something that will give them the strength to continue and change. Because mm. they need to change how they speak to themselves because, you know, our, our words are so powerful that we can build ourselves or destroy ourselves. So in this case... Repeating this belief 
it can destroy people generation after generation because you give up. Why am mm-hmm. I going to bother? It's going to happen anyway. Also change your habits, and that is the most difficult thing. And find good people around you that can help you change your habits. If you hang around with the same bunch of uh, hooligans that are with you doing whatever you're doing, you're not going to go anywhere. But if you find a group of people that will help you get ahead and support you emotionally, you will get somewhere. Also forgiveness. You have to forgive yourself through the journey. So I think that um, that is generational curse. Now we have ancestral curse. That is a different, that's a different animal. Usually ancestral curses are uh, cast upon a member of the family. And it's cast in a manner where they curse them and all their family coming, all the future family line. And it's interesting because I was researching uh, ancestral curses. And I go, who do we know that might have an ancestral curse? And this is aside from the clients that I read for. Because if you're a good psychic reader and you do Mm -hmm. a reading for someone that is having all these issues, it comes up that they have an ancestral curse. And then you help them. But in this case, I was thinking, you know who has an ancestral curse? The British royal family. Think about that. Yes. And I went back because, you know, we know the ones that are alive now. But when Mm -hmm. you go back and do research, then you find out that the the dirt goes back like five Mm -hmm. generations. So the spell that I did for the picture has the five generations of the British family. And, uh, you know, it was pretty cool, I, I must say. It was fun to mm. do the research. So, for example, That's interesting. Can, yeah, I, can I just I jump mean, in again? Um, so, in the chat, Balkan Diviner mentioned that generational curses in some families only mm-hmm. do one gender. Only one gender has the curse. Yes. And yeah. this is, all, you know, in other words, all the men will die before mm-hmm. the age of 40 or something like that. Um, but in some families where there are ancestral curses, they can be on all descendants or, again, they can be gender divided too. And so mm-hmm. we will see that the females escape the curse or the males escape the curse and the yeah. females have it. And it depends on how that curse was made. So, Balkan Diviner, you're correct, but, again... It, these are made curses. And Aya Asha Aya 13 in the mm-hmm. chat said, another family, yes. the Kennedys. This is another yes. absolutely cursed family. Yes. Okay, I'm going to turn it back yes. over to you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, going back to the British royal family, and I do have the Kennedys right below them so that we can talk about <laughs> that because it's a different type of curse. The mm-hmm. The Windsors which is not their original name, but they changed it uh, when the Mm -hmm. war was going on, uh, the First World War. So here's the Windsors. So we are familiar with Harry and Meghan, okay? And that love, their curse is forbidden love. So Harry meets Meghan, falls in love with her, and is fighting the whole family because they don't like her or she doesn't like them or whatever. So that's a forbidden love. She's an American. She's African-American. So that's an issue. B, 
Before him, his father, King Charles III, and Camilla. Another problem, forbidden love, Lady Di, you know, died, and so that was, an, you know, another forbidden love. And he won because he's got her there, and she's a queen now. Princess Margaret, Princess Margaret, the sister of Queen Elizabeth, she was in love with Peter Townsend, and he was a divorced man. And back then, they would not allow her to be with him, so she ended up having a couple of other, I think, failed relationships, even a marriage. For that, her uncle, Edward VIII, he fell in love with Wallace Simpson, an actress and divorcee. What a scandal. So he renounced to the throne. Now, what I didn't know, because I'm old to know all these people, I'm old enough, Edward VIII, no, the seventh, which is the father of Edward VIII, that, that married Wallace, he was cheating on his wife right and left. So he married the proper lady, but he was cheating on her with a bunch of women. And his lifetime mistress was an, a lady called Alice Keppel. So she's the lady that he loved. Guess whose great-grandmother she is? Camilla. Really? So, yeah, honest. If they had Facebook back then, we would have known this. But this is amazing. So this family curse and forbidden love have gone on for five generations. Can I add so, also, also let's yes. add Prince Andrew, who yes. was um, <laughs> who was uh, disgraced himself by his uh, forbidden and rightly forbidden interest in underage girls. Yeah, yeah, but he was already divorced. He divorced uh, Fergie before that. I mean, and they didn't. Oh, well, I'm sure he was already either. stripping yeah. little girls yeah. before that too. Oh yeah, 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 but. You know, so this is the, the family curse of the Windsors. So the mm -hmm. spell I did has all the Windsors in it. Now, the Kennedys, like it was mentioned on the, on the chat, their curse is tragic deaths. So uh, the father, I think, I think his name was Joseph. Joseph Kennedy, his firstborn was Joseph also. He was killed in the war. Then here comes John. JFK, we know how he died, tragically killed. Then Robert, tragically killed, Robert Kennedy, and John mm -hmm. Jr. in a plane crash. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not up to date on how many Kennedys have died since. I think one died of an overdose, but mm -hmm. that's neither here or, you know, that's self-inflicted. These other things were people killing them. So mm -hmm. that's another, yeah, that's another family curse. So um, wow. I don't know. Yeah, so that was, I mean, I thought that was quite interesting. Now, um, ancestral curses, okay? Like I said, if you do a reading, you can help your clients. And the, uh, the client needs to believe in that reader. You have to really trust your reader. Now, you can do the spell yourself because on the instructions of the spell, I gave instructions if a person wants to do that on their own family. It's a little bit involved, but it's not impossible. And there is one item on that spell 
that if a pastor does it, they cannot do it, but if the person that is having the curse does it, they can do it, and that is blood. Because you mm -hmm. prick your finger and use a drop of blood and dab every photo that is your family member. And well, we'll get. We're going to get to. No, don't don't give away the spell yet, honey. We're we're going to get to that I'm at not. the end of the show. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. We're we're going to just say that 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 kind of a curse can be broken with blood. But let's save it for the free spell. Um. So uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump back a little bit into um, curses, generational curses, and trying to help a person who perceives that they have a generational curse. And I'd, I'd like to bring Conjurman in because he's been very quiet. Conjurman, tell us how you deal with people who come to you with gener generational curses, and in particular, as a reader, how do you distinguish between a generational curse and a depressive, obsessive delusion, if you know what I mean. Uh-oh. No voice from Conjurman. Conjurman is silent. There he is. Can you hear me? Yes. For some reason, I was muted. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think, I think the examples here are actually good. Uh, both the Kennedys and the Windsors, because it shows us that ancestral curses and generational curses don't always just affect bloodlines. They can also affect those that are associated with them. So marrying into a family can bring that curse or, or issue into your lives. After all, it's uh, often Good the partners of, of the Windsors that have suffered more than the Windsors they themselves have. They have a nice, cushy throne that they can sit on even if their personal lives are a disaster but by marrying into the family you you take on those burdens so i i distinguish between generational curses and ancestral curses in this way generational curses are burdens that are handed down like you pointed out the issue of, of genetics that's a really good metaphor mm -hmm. i see that it is a sort of baggage so that when someone dies mm -hmm. you oh, come into their house and you realize holy shit they left all this dirt and grime and there's cockroaches under the floorboard, and there's all these other stuff that we have to deal with in the attic. It's the stuff you have to deal with from death. Mm -hmm. And it can be immediate. It could be a mother. It could be a father. It could be an uncle. It could be distant, a great-grandfather, a great-grandmother, etc. And it is passed down. An ancestral curse is an ancestor intervening in that person's mm -hmm. life. That's how I distinguish between the two. Generational curses can be a result of self-jinxes. That is, uh, I, we are never going to find love. That mm -hmm. becomes a perpetual pattern that is then passed down over generation after generation, and it sort of calcifies. It becomes a sort of cancer, if you will, that passes down. It starts off as someone just being a little bit unlucky. But then they, they say, oh, we're, we're all unlucky, and then they teach their kids that they're unlucky, and their kids teach their kids that they're unlucky, and it becomes a learned pattern of negative ideation that just continues mm -hmm. on and on and on. And because it works over generations, it becomes increasingly powerful. So it goes from just a mere negative ideation, a reverse law of attraction, if you will, to becoming an actual curse. The generational mm -hmm. curse can also be put on a person. That is, they did mm -hmm. something in their lives, crossed someone, and they go, okay, you and your forebearers, 
shall pay the price for this. This more often than not is some type of genuine wrong or harm that has been done. Like in romance, breaking uh, a witch's heart, for example, is a very old and traditional story about how ancestral or generational curses are passed down. My great-great-grandfather broke a witch's heart and she's cursed his line so that they can never truly find love, something along those lines. Ancestral curses, like I mentioned, are interventions. Like the ancestor is overbearing, powerful, and goes, yep, I'm going to mess with your life so that I get you to do what I want. I want you to become a doctor, so I'm going to close off all the other roads for you so that you can only become a doctor. There are ways of distinguishing between the two, but the most important thing to do is distinguish it from a person who has a self-pattern of mental and emotional health. And this is done through, one, divination. You want to do an actual divination to determine, is there a curse person? I always tell people that curses are far more rare than they realize. Mm-hmm. People yeah. just aren't walking around constantly cursed. That's a very fear-induced <laughs> approach towards the world. Mm-hmm. Curses are actually incredibly rare. You know what's more common? The evil eye. The evil eye is actually mm-hmm. swung mm-hmm. around like no other. The envy, unintentional, always around. But the actual curse, very, very rare in that list. You want to start with a divination. And two, mm-hmm. you want to look at patterns. Patterns that can be objectively Observe, not just, I stubbed my toe, therefore I'm cursed. And this is why you need that third party, because sometimes we get so locked up in our own despair and our own sadness and our own grief that we're unable to objectively look at our lives. We are unable to see that, yeah, maybe life is a little bit rocky right now, but that doesn't mean that me and my ancestors have been cursed three generations going. So that third party, an objective person who can step in and go, yes, this is a curse. No, this isn't a curse. It's just you need a little bit of of emotional help here. You need a little bit of this here. That is really crucial for distinguishing between between what's going on. And then once you identify generational versus ancestral, there are different approaches that are necessary for how you address each of them. So divination, third party, look for objective patterns is my approach. That's a, a boy. That was really good advice to anyone who is a reader. I I agree a hundred percent on that. And um, one of the things that you mentioned, I wanted to expand on a little bit here, which is generational curses put into a family as punishment for wrongdoing, like jilting yeah. a lover or committing a murder. These are very hard to justify past a few generations. In different cultures, there are uh, limits to these. Balkan Diviner 14 noted that in the Balkan uh, culture, nine generations is the limit for such a curse. I'm Jewish, and we have a limit of four generations. We figure after four generations, God steps in and says, enough is enough already. Stop it with that. Except for the Amalekites, who were these particularly wretched people, and they are supposed to be blotted out entirely and and forever. That's just they're doomed forever. Um, And of course, one of the major things that that Jews do is identify people as, oh, that's an Amalekite. Um, But the um, if they don't like them, but the idea of four generations is very useful in dealing with Jewish clients or those who believe in the Old Testament of the Christian Bible, which is the same as the Hebrew Jewish Bible, Mm -hmm. more or less. Mm -hmm. And that is the idea of telling them, look, 
God says unto the fourth generation. That's it. Right. You know, and you right. or your child can be the first that is not part of that. And that's good news to people who come from Jewish and Christian cultures. What about mm-hmm. um what about uh Muslim beliefs uh contrary? Is there a limit on generational curses? There is. So Islam takes a middle approach as it does in, in all of this because it is born out of a climate in which it's engaging with Judaism and Christianity. So it takes a little mm-hmm. bit from this and it takes a little bit from that, which is why Islamic law looks like Holocaust with a little bit of Roman canon thrown in, right? Right. So right. I always tell people, well, like, if you ever look at Sharia, it's, it's, it's rabbinic law, it's halakha, with a little bit of Roman canon thrown in. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing with, with curses. Uh, the idea is that there is a limit. Generally, within three to four generations is the limit. But it also takes the Christian approach by saying that while a generation curse can happen, it is unjust past the first generation. That after mm-hmm. the father and the son, because the son is the immediate within that family itself, this is the mm-hmm. whole idea that the son shall not carry the burdens of the father, no child shall carry the burdens of the father. It's a very similar mm-hmm. in Islam. So the idea is that after that, the curse may exist, but it's now considered an unjust curse. And therefore, someone mm-hmm. can step in and pray it away, cleanse it away, etc. Exactly. So it will, itself will, mm-hmm. it, it, if there's no intervention, then it lasts three to four generations, which is the Jewish mm-hmm. understanding that God himself will say, no, no, you've gone too far. But mm-hmm. you can step in before that because it's now unjust after the first generation. What the, the grandchild should not suffer for what the grandfather did. And that becomes very clear. And so you'll see a lot of sort of exorcism rites, cleansing rites, spiritual healing rites, all are oriented around this. You are not guilty for what your grandfather has done. One generation has passed. We can now cleanse this. That's it, that's exactly the same in Jewish culture. Yep. It will yep. run out after four generations. Exactly. But, but you can you intervene can also, before. You can intervene and do mm-hmm. a, a cleansing. Um, yeah. Now, we've we've got three religions here. So, um, uh, Mama E, I know that you come from actually from two religions, Catholicism and Santeria. How do they see generational curses in terms of duration? Just like the Jewish just like the uh-huh. Jewish, uh, mm-hmm. the Catholic one, yeah. And that's why when I do the spells, I use five generations, just an extra one, just in case. Like maybe <laughs> that's the fellow, that's the fellow that got cursed from mm-hmm. the woman that wanted him and he didn't want to be, you know, with her and she cursed all the women. I've done work on just women. Uh, I think one of the uh, the people in the chaplain said females. I've done a whole female ancestry from India, and I did five people because I, I included the daughter, the teenage daughter that uh, of the client because that is the future generation. So I used everybody, and yeah. um, it, and the the curse was that the parent, the mothers and the daughters would end up fighting each other. And she said, everyone in my family, all the mothers fight with their daughters, and I don't want that to happen to me and my daughter. So we mm-hmm. included her in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I included her in that spell. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. another interesting spell that I did for another client from India, and she wanted to break away from her family because they, you know, in India, you have to do things a certain way and marry the certain person that somebody chooses for you and all this. She wanted to break away with that because her family was um, 
very angry with her because she was resisting the whole process and I don't want to do continue to do this because they're not happy they hate their husbands and I want to break away so I did a spell for her and her family and I had a very interesting thing happen um, she I felt under my reading that she had been cursed way back way way not her but like her family from way back and uh, things were happening to them so I do the spell for her and when I go see the spell the next day a bird had flown and died on the spell. No oh, my blood. gosh. Yeah, the, the bird flew and was dead. And uh, we're looking at this dead bird. I got a picture of it because that doesn't happen. And when I looked at the spell and I, you know, read on it, I felt that that was the sacrifice that was needed to break that spell. Mm-hmm. And you know wow. where we burn, where we burn our candles, and I do my spells is outdoors, but it's a covered patio. So mm-hmm. you know birds don't fly in there, but this mm-hmm. little bird decided to sacrifice himself. Boom on the spell, and did not disrupt the spell. He died wow. in front, in front of the candle, like here wow. I am. Boom. And I thought that was awesome. And I told the lady, okay, I think your curse is broken because even the bird sacrifice himself because mm-hmm. originally I felt that the curse was done with blood mm-hmm. wow. that, yeah they had sacrificed something so another yeah. animal I, had to die for yeah I once did a, a, a worked with a client who a few generations back a couple of generations back a woman had stolen another woman's boyfriend and married mm-hmm. him and the the jilted woman who had actually been promised a marriage showed up and at the marriage and proclaimed, you have him now, but he will die soon. Oh God. And he mm. produced one child and died. And this had then continued that every man in this lineage had one child and then died. And the, um, when the first man died, the woman who had been jilted showed up dressed all in black, like as if she were the widow. And she had a a black rose, like a silk rose, and she threw it on the coffin. And she said, this curse will continue after death. And so this man who called me was like, had produced a child. And he was like, mm. am I going to die right now? Am I going to die right mm. now? Clock was but I found, oh, right, right. So I found out that the curse had been done in Russia. I said, well, where's the grave? Can you know? Can you dig up some dirt or something mm-hmm. for the grave? Nope, that was in mm-hmm. Russia. So instead, we did a ceremony with um, you know releasing this. And mm-hmm. as far as I know, he he lived. He he went on to have more children. But it was that thing sure. where it was uh, it was unjust, you know, for him. He wasn't the person who jilted somebody, you know, eighty years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Wow, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of uh, breaking ancestral curses, and I think that's because a lot of the clients that I work with are international clients. Um, and so this really brings right. up a point you mentioned, for example, India, that there are certain cultures in mm-hmm. which uh, there's more of an awareness of generational and ancestral curses, and they are more common yeah. in those cultures. Uh, what anthropologists would call collectivist cultures. These are cultures that often live in extended families or who have uh, their sort of nuclear family is way more intimate than the sort of nuclear family that exists in suburban America, 
where you see your mm-hmm. cousins maybe once a year. Uh, Jewish mm-hmm. cultures, Muslim cultures, Christian cultures from Latin America, from the uh, from places like India, Southeast Asia, Asia. These cultures, African cultures, all have very deep family bonds, and those family mm-hmm. bonds yeah. endure after death in a way that maybe you don't always see in, say, Canada or America, in certain cultures, I should say. Not all of Canada and America, obviously. But indigenous cultures, Asian cultures, uh, Jewish cultures, these cultures often have very strong family ties. And I find it's in these cultures that you will find more cases of generational curses and ancestral curses of ancestors interfering or or ancestors Mm -hmm. passing on their curse. And so because I work with a lot of those type of clients, I see more cases of generational curses than, for example, the soccer mom who's calling me up to make sure that, you know, she finds a new lover. Very sort of different cultures here when it comes to generational curses. Right. I'm going to throw in something about African-American land and house curses of generations. I've seen this where the the oldest living family member has inherited a piece of property that came through the family after slavery. They worked hard to maintain and keep this piece of property. It's something very valuable. But over the years, more and more children and grandchildren have existed, and they begin to lose interest in the oldest living, usually female, relative. And she calls me up and tells me, and I've heard this, oh, many times, that she wants to curse the entire family because she knows they're just waiting for her to die so they could get the property and sell it for development um, and all have a little bit of money from it rather than keep that property. And so the family name the family property will be dispersed and she curses her own children nieces nephews everybody My and i've had this i and i've seen this quite often i listen i do divination on it but um it's very hard for me to talk people out of this because they feel that by violating the land that was so hard to come by after centuries of slavery, that by violating that family trust, that and, and I asked them, well, what would you like them to do? They all have their own houses. And usually the older woman, and these are women in their 70s or 80s, even 90s, say, I'd like them to keep it as a vacation house if they can't decide to live in it. And they are so crushed by the throwing away of what they've worked so hard to maintain and has been maintained that they will curse their entire own family. Let them live in apartments for the rest of their life and be poor. I don't care. (laughs) Oh, boy. There is something to be said, too, of of inter-family conflicts that can produce these types of curses. Uh, This Mm -hmm. is found throughout the world. I find it, for example, in places like India in particular, that issues between cousins or siblings can produce Mm -hmm. generational curses that will face things along the lines of, I've been uh, passed over for my inheritance uh, because of my sister. I want to make sure that my sister and all her children, that's their nieces and nephews, are cursed for the rest of their lives. And that will Mm -hmm. happen. So there there is, it's not just, strangers that do it to you. It can be your own family that does it to you, where one line will curse another branch within that same line. They're like, okay, I will say, and I've seen this before, that, that those curses are never contained. It will spread through the rest of the family. 
the person who's doing the cursing will also affect their own ancestral line at some point or another. It's just the, it's the bloodline is there, right? So it's going mm-hmm. to mingle. There's no, there's no, once you direct a, uh, you know, if you've got a, if you've got a fire launcher, you can direct the fire as much as you want, but there are going to be, you know, some burn marks on your hands as mm-hmm. well. Uh, and are very much like that. You're just your blood is just way too interwoven. You're too tied. These families are way too close, close together. And so I do see ancestral and generational curses that come from within the family themselves. Now I do want to mention mm-hmm. because we're talking about generational versus ancestral curses that there are different approaches to how we deal with them. And I'm just going to briefly mention in the abstract uh, how I deal with them. When I come across a generational curse, which is that which is inherited by your and from your ancestors, whether they wronged someone or they created a pattern or they self drinks, whatever it is, it's an inherited state of being. That is about breaking the pattern. It's about looking back at the several lines and going, whatever has happened here, I shatter it. I break it. I take this knot that has been passed down and I unknot it so that it can no longer be passed down as a knot. It's an act of cleansing the line itself. It's an act of cleansing the individual, their mother, their father, and so on and so forth, whether it's the female line, the male line. Whatever it is, you cleanse the line itself. It's a sort of in-depth cleansing, if you will, right? It's a, so mm-hmm. deep that your ancestors feel it is how I, I put it, right? You take a bath so deep that even your great-grandfather feels it. An ancestral curse, on the other hand, is about removing the influence of that ancestor. And that can involve things like laying the ancestor to rest, uh, putting up protections so that the ancestor can only interfere uh, in a positive and constructive way. It's a very different approach. You're not necessarily cleansing. You can cleanse away certain effects, but you have to deal with that ancestor directly. Maybe they just mm-hmm. want something. Hey, if you put up an, uh, an altar for me, I'll chill out a little bit. And maybe that's all mm-hmm. it takes. In other instances, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's an evil ancestor. This is a troublesome ancestor. And so you send them away to the deep oceans uh, or the, the, the Central African concept of Kalunga. You send them away so that they can no longer work to meddle with you. Or in the, the West Virginian or the Virginian conjure approach, we ghost-like. We've actually put them back into the ground and go, you now stay here and no longer intervene in my client's life. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a big difference. And I love the use of knot spells and untying mm-hmm. knots. Yes. Um, and there are people who want to be removed from their family because they feel their family is cursed. And I've done uh, untying knot spells and uh, using um, strands of like twine and then tying them all up together and then untying it, taking them out, tying everyone else back up again. You all go over here. My client is now free of that tangled knot of the family generational uh, negativity. And um, the uh, Aisha, Aisha says, nobody's discussing renunciation of bad ancestry. Yes, we we have mentioned I that. I just mentioned it. With, yeah, uh, just mentioned with ancestral curses, you can heal, cleanse, or send away the bad ancestor. Yes. Um, as far as taking on magical ancestry as substitute ancestors, that's a different situation because that's not a curse. That's an option for uh, bettering yourself. But I will mention it as something. Thank you, Aya, for mentioning it, that you can uh, give yourself substitute or adoptive ancestors if your own prove 
particularly troublesome. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, what, um, Madam Bell says, I always wonder about enslaver ancestors being black foundational mm-hmm. American. When yep. you have enslaving ancestors, you really have to think again, how many generations back is this? Where can you yeah. send them? Can you forgive them? Probably not. Can you curse them to hell? You can curse an ancestor just the way an ancestor has cursed you. And mm-hmm. um that's a that's a very, you know, very important thing to understand. You can curse an ancestor to hell, but you have to be careful when you do that. Mm-hmm. I had one client who wanted to only experience an African diasporic religion and he wanted to curse all of his ancestors who had become Baptist Christians. And then one day he had this horrible revelation that he was cursing his own grandmother, right. who was a very devout Baptist. And he was overcome with the sense of sorrow at how tangled everything was. And he realized he loved his grandmother, but and it wasn't her fault. So he turned to cursing the person who forced her to become a Baptist. But even that didn't work. You know, she really liked being a Baptist. So you have to think, too, your ancestors have autonomy in a sense. Mm-hmm. They made their mm-hmm. choices. And you can yeah. also do what Kardec um, talked about, which is elevating your ancestors. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in spiritism, if you had an enslaver ancestor, you might try to do an ancestral elevation and um, see if they can be made to be more generous and more kindly and to regret and apologize for what they've done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can also their 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 approach of either accepting or cursing. There's a middle ground again, and that is that you can simply exclude them. You can uh, decide to renounce that ancestor. You are not of my line. This is particularly ancestors that have done horrible things, genocidal ancestors, ancestors that were uh, that committed sexual violence, and ancestors that were enslavers. And the reality is that the world is very harsh, and every every one of us has an ancestor at some point that has done a horrific thing. You choose your ancestors that are actively involved in your life. They are still your ancestor, but they can have zero influence of your life. This is particularly mm-hmm. important. If you come from a family that has dealt with the horrors of slavery, right, and you're setting up an ancestral altar, it is it is going to be disastrous at first, if I'm going to be honest with you, if you're going to put an enslaver ancestor on that mm-hmm. same altar with your immediate mm-hmm. family. Like that is just, it's just going to cause chaos. So you can choose. You go, these are my ancestors. The, my grandma, my grandpa, my great-grandfather, my great-grandmother, the people who have fostered me and nurtured me and enlivened my soul. These are my ancestors. That great, great, great son of a bitch who was an enslaver, I do not recognize them. Right. They may be part of the line, but they're not on this table. I haven't invited them to dinner. And that's mm-hmm. really important. Remember, your home, your altar, your ancestors are the people that you are having dinner with. They're the people that you've right. invited in your life. And you choose who you can invite and who you don't. If you don't want to curse that ancestor because you worry about the, the, the after effects or what it does to you, if you don't want to elevate them because it's like they've done so such horrible things that you cannot work to that end, you can simply say they are not welcomed in your house. So you can exclude, you choose the ancestral influences in your life. And, and yep. that is one way of breaking an ancestral curse. Yes, Taking their exactly. picture off the wall 
getting rid of them. Um, if you had a, a cousin who became a methamphetamine addict and broke into your house and stole, you wouldn't invite him back. And even though uh, somebody may be your direct DNA ancestor, what they've done is so reprehensible. Don't memorialize them. Maybe put their, you know, if you have anything about them or, or information, you know, from genealogy or DNA, put it in a box, close it up, and put it away in a dark place. It's there in case it's needed, but they are not welcome at your table. Right. Yeah. Well, I um, I have friends on my ancestral altar that are not blood relatives, but they felt like they were my children or my brothers or sisters, and I have those in my ancestral altar. Um in the case of someone that uh, is a drug addict, I don't think um, I know what you said about coming in your house and stealing and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still feel that they are already in a dark place. Mm-hmm. So get them out of your house. Don't have pictures of them. But I would not do uh, a spell against them because they're already going through their hell. I would protect my house from them and, right. uh, you know, clean my house and, you know, seal it and say let so-and-so not come in or whatever. But I would not uh, do work against them because they're already dealing with a lot of garbage and uh, more than likely they will end up losing their life to this yeah. process. But how many yeah. of us how many of us have seen family photo albums where there's a photo torn in half and half is missing? What do you think or that is? <laughs> We've all seen it. Um Phyllis Phyllis Margaret Gabor wants to know, um, is there anything you can do that isn't as much of as a curse until you feel readily ready, mentally, physically, et cetera, to work to elevate them, to make sure they aren't welcome? Um, I would say exactly what we just said. Put them away in a box, close the box, put it in a dark place. Later, if you want to work to elevate them, you can. Um, And remember, with everything digital now, you'll be able to find things that you thought you lost or tore up or burned. It'll still be somewhere on the Internet. (laughs) It's always there. (laughs) All right. Well, this was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. As always, Mama E, you bring so much depth to our talks. All right, that was our music, and now we're going to be taking our client. Support for this program is provided by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and located online at luckymojo.com, and by the Association of Independent Readers and Root Workers, AIR, a directory of ethical and authentic conjure practitioners located online at readersandrootworkers.org. And by Hoodoo Psychics, the first psychic line run entirely by Hoodoo practitioners. Receive a reading with a trusted root worker instantly. Call 1-888-4-HOODOO or visit HoodooPsychics.com. And by the Crystal Silence League, a free online prayer service of the Association of Independent Spiritual Churches located online at CrystalSilenceLeague.org. Now it's time to go to the phone and talk to today's client. Our client is Alyssa calling from area code 978. Alyssa, are you there? I'm here. Hi. Hi. And you indicated that uh, you had not been to any other readers about this situation before. Is that correct? That's correct. Fantastic. And we have slightly changed her uh, question just to make it a little more readable, but both will be posted into the chat. And she writes, 
My partner has, since 2008, been experiencing a pattern where financially he will be almost to the point that he can know that he can stop worrying and struggling to make ends meet, and then something unexpected or out of his control happens to put him back in panic mode. There is a pattern of events in my life that has to do with administrative and clerical issues or with business partners, roommates, or romantic partners being deceptive or catastrophically inept. I would, like to ins- I would like instructions on what to do to financially uncross him. Turning it over to you, Ms. Kat. Okay, Alyssa, you're asking two questions. One is um, dealing with a person, your partner, since 2008, who has financial and um, other things happening. And you're also talking about your own pattern of accepting such people as partners and roommates um, and being de- and them being deceptive or inept. If, so I'd like to ask you... If I you, may interject, uh, yes. that's actually a mistyping. That pattern is my partner's pattern that I'm looking oh. to hopefully oh, follow Oh, there's a pattern him. of his... Uh, uh, now I understand. There's a pattern in his I apologize. Life. Okay, that's the person who redacted it, did that wrong. Now I understand. Okay, so what we're really dealing with is a person who has a very bad pattern. And this kind of goes with what we were talking about, about generational curses. Mm-hmm. So um, let me ask, um, oh, Nagashiva says, that would be me. Sorry about that. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Alyssa, your partner, what sign of the Zodiac? Capricorn. All right. So um, I'm going to do the first reading and take out my tarot cards. And I'm going to see what um, we can do, whether magic can help, and how we can look at this from a standpoint of um, getting him in a better place. Okay. Card number one is a card called the Knight of Cups. And this is called A Journey of a Year. So this says you will not be able to cure him instantly. You're not going to be able to wave that magic wand, snap those fingers, and say, heal, and he won't be healed like that. Um, This is a man who has come through a very difficult time, a dry desert. He's holding a cup, which is his goals and aspirations, his holy grail. And he comes to a little stream. He can refresh himself, but now he cannot get up across the stream where there's a cliff. He cannot get up to the top of the cliff. He cannot be healed in one jump. He has to go down. The cliff itself gradually lowers and lowers until he can find a little valley and go in and come up the other way. So prepare yourself. This is going to be a journey of healing that will take at least one solar year or 13 lunations. Water will be involved in the healing process, bathing, and teas and herbs, okay, because that's what we have on this card. He has to want to do this himself. He has to be, his horse that he's on this Knight of Cups, he has to be actively moving forward. Unless he moves forward, he will not, you know, you can't um, make him do it, okay? Mm -hmm. But it says it will take some time. It's a program of retraining. It's a program of bathing and cleansing that can work. The next card says to me that the obstacle to this is 
a sense of grief that he feels. The card is the Five of Cups. These are spilled cups, three spilled cups, and two that are not spilled. Um, how old is he? Uh, 36. Okay. So he's looking back on his life, and he's seeing missed opportunities, lost things. Um, he's beginning to feel like maybe he's made some wrong decisions. There have been some tragic events. He's contemplating, He's, I would say almost depressedly, contemplating his losses and not thinking about his future gains. Behind him is a canvas-painted backdrop on a theatrical stage on which there's a ruined castle and a river with goes under a bridge, and the phrase water under the bridge means cannot go back again, time has passed. The ruined castle, things that cannot be repaired, and he's wiping the tears from his eyes. You're going to have to deal with the fact that part of what's going on here is his own sense of um, easy depression or sad feelings, grief. And there may have been real things that have, have happened to him that have been horrible. But he still has un, undrunk cups left, build and wash them out and refill them. He'd be able to go on. So a lot of this is emotional for him. And again, cups represent tea, bathing, and um, and cleansing, and so forth. And the third card is called the Six of Wands, and this is called the Victory Card, or Triumph. And it shows someone riding on a horse, just the same kind of horse that the previous man had been riding on a gray horse, which means the body, and he has a wreath of bay leaves around his head and a wand or staff with a circle of bay leaves on it. And there are five people walking with him with sticks. I call them the Morris dancers. They look like English folk folk dancers with sticks to do those rapping dances. And But these people are accompanying him and cheering him on. So he needs helpers. He will not be able to do this alone. Again, bay leaf is good for protection. Bay leaf is indicated in what may be done magically. And so um, I I see that there's a way out of it, but it's not easy, and he's going to be resistant to it. But I would start with a program of um, bathing and cleansing and herbal teas that are elevating something to get him out of that feeling of repetition and doom, as it were. All right? So I'm going to turn this over to Mama E, and she's going to do a reading. Okay. Hi, Alyssa. Um, Hi. I was pulling cards. Hi. I was pulling cards as Kat was speaking. And um, now this is your boyfriend, right, your significant other? Um, yes, that's it right. Seems, yeah, it seems like he was doing fine once upon a time, and then because uh, I get the sun card for that, and then all of a sudden I get the death card, meaning okay, everything ended. And I think it had to do with someone that tried to trick him uh, in some sort of business deal, and I feel that it was a female, and. Um, she kind of destroyed his self-esteem. It wasn't only the money and his opportunities. He felt like he had failed by allowing this to happen, which is, you know, not accurate, but 
you know, that's how he feels. Now, he has the possibility of uh, getting his money back. Uh, not the same money, but new money. The Seven of Pentacles is watching, uh, you know, your um, the fruit of your labor. So there is a very positive card coming here that he will be able to stand on his own two feet. Next to that, I get the Queen of Swords. And that's a lady that, um, she's a nice lady. She's a kind lady, but she is a no-nonsense lady. And um, she's holding a sword. So basically, to me, this represents a woman that will tell you like it is, just as the sword resembles the tongue. She will speak her truth and will tell you, you're doing this wrong, I can't do this with you, or you have to do it this way or it's not going to work. So he needs to find that woman or she will actually find him. And they will be able to work together. Now, the strength card came up which means for him, he needs to be a strong person to be able to deal with this new scenario. I don't feel that he likes to be told what to do, but in this case, for his own benefit, he needs to shake hands with this woman for the, uh, for the, the fact that he will make money in business with her. So he's going to have to bite his tongue. Um, I see the Eight of Cups, meaning he's not too sure where he's going to go with this, but he needs to be strong because the Strength and the uh, Eight of Cups are next to each other. Now, interestingly enough, the last two cards that I pulled was the Tower and Temperance. What this tells me is he, he is his own saboteur. He is the one that destroys things for himself because he feels like he can never be good enough to do things. But what he needs to do is to be balanced. Temperance is the symbol of balance. He needs to be balanced in his thoughts, in his actions, and not be impulsive, which being a Capricorn, he shouldn't be. He should be very uh, mental when he's doing things or very organized. But I see that he will be successful once he meets this person that will give him the opportunity to move ahead. Now, what type of work does he do, just out of curiosity for myself? Um, he works in, um, oh, what's the term? Um, internet security. Oh, okay. Well, he will find someone that will give him a chance. and um, But she's going to be strict. She's going to be strict. And uh, he needs to bite the bullet and do what she's asked, you know, what she asked. And then he will be successful. Uh, so, yeah, there is hope. And, you know, like Kat said, uh, he needs to uh, take baths to clear himself and uh, to uncross his money and uncross himself from whatever perception of himself he has created. It's, it's mental. It's all in his mind. Mm-hmm. He can do it. Okay? And that's my reading. Okay. Thank you. I, I just thank, thank you, you uh, Mama E. And I have a, a comment here from Dr. Sweets, which is sort of interesting, saying Capricorns stay the course, mm-hmm. keep their heads bowed down, work hard, and usually are successful. When hard work doesn't pay off, it can be really devastating because yes. what else can they do? They did everything right from the start. Saturn must be screwing with him. That was a That's really right. good reading, Dr. Sweets. I like that. Yes. All right. We're going to yes. turn this over to Contraman for some root work. 
Yeah, I think you've gotten some really good recommendations here. Uh, I am just going to mention that, yes, Saturnian signs can sometimes deal with these big fluctuations like uh, uh, Capricorn Aquarius, but it's actually not Saturn that, that's messing in this instance. It's actually Jupiter. Um, you said that he's how old? Th around 36? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah, okay, so he, around 36. That's his Jupiter return. So every 12 years, Jupiter goes through a cycle. Uh, and it builds up towards it, and then it culminates in that 12-year cycle, and then it kind of goes away for a bit, and then it culminates. This is particularly a big deal for Capricorn, because Jupiter has its fall in Capricorn. So whenever Jupiter cycles every 12 years, there is this pattern in Capricorn's life where a lot of the things that they build up start to fall apart, uncertainty comes into their lives, and in particular in matters of elevation, career, money, fortune, all of those stuff. It really just sort of messes with them. Every 12 years or so, like if you're a Capricorn, go ahead and track your life. And you'll see every 12-year mark, there's like a big turning point that happens in your life. Uh, and it sort of has this, the same uh, peak approach where like it leads up to that 12-year mark. It leads up, things are going, things are happening, happening. Then there's like a culmination and then things fade away and things go back to normal for a while. And then it'll happen over and over again. Just mark that, be mindful of that, that Jupiter, these Jupiter cycles will have an effect person's life. It will uh, kind of be a long-term issue in this case. Uh, but doing some type of Jupiter um, amelioration, some type of remediation around Jupiter, perhaps even getting a Jupiter talisman that is that will strengthen. I don't know what Jupiter is doing in his particular chart, so it might be worthwhile to examine. But something to consider there, that there is a sort of cycle that's built in for Capricorns, and it is these Jupiter cycles that happen roughly every 12 years. So I'm going to give you some root work recommendation here that will address this problem. I'm going to approach this with, with uh, a little bit of a sort of sneaky trick approach, but I think it will work quite well. The more open he is to root work and whatnot, the more easier this will be. But what I want you to do is to get Bay, Basil, and Agrimony. Bay, as this cat recommended here. You're going to brew this into a tea. You're going to take a little bit of this tea, just a very small amount, and you can use uh, a dropper, if you'd will. You're just going to pull up that dropper and then pour it into his body wash. Just drip it right into his body wash, shake it up. He won't smell it. He won't even know it's there. But you want to put enough in there, a few drops, a symbolic amount of it. This will touch his body. Now, take the rest of it and set up a space that you're going to do work. This will be ideally done on Monday. Take a white male figure candle. Uh, write his name on it, anoint, baptize it in his name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I name you so-and-so. What happens to you shall happen to so-and-so. You're going to take the rest of the tea, and you're going to bathe this candle as if you were bathing him. You're going to start from the top of his head, and you're going to bathe downward, cleansing and praying that all the things in his life going wrong are removed, that his doubts are removed, that his fears are removed, that his anxieties are removed, that all the messes are removed. And you're going to bathe him downward. Just kind of dap your, dap, put your hand into the tea that you brewed and just wash. Wash downward. Then you're going to set this aside, let it air dry, and take the leftover bath water and dispose of it at the crossroads. Remove it in the crossroads, throw it over your left shoulder, come back. The candle, leave it aside, hide it somewhere until the Thursday of that week. On that Thursday, you're going to take that candle out, you're going to anoint it with John the Conqueror root oil, and you're going to place it on a heat-proof dish. 
around it, you are going to grind up bay leaves, mast root, and five-finger grass, and you're going to sprinkle around the candle in a clockwise fashion that mixture of bay leaves, mast root, and five-finger grass. You're going to take a small button or a medallion or some type of small object that you can use, and you're going to set it, you're going to anoint it with John the Conqueror and Van Van Oil and set it in front of the candle. You're going to light the candle and recite Psalm 121, verses 1 to 2. I lift up my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heaven and the earth. You're going to keep reciting that as the candle burns down. Once the candle burns down, you're going to take that small button or medallion and you're going to sneak it into his objects. If it's a button, you can quite literally open up, for example, the inner lining of his coat and sew it in there. You can place it on his jacket. You can do whatever. It's a small medallion. You can even give it some of the gift. Put a chain on it and be like, hey, I got this for you. I would really love it if you wear it and think of me. Small medallion that he wears around his neck. That will be his personal talisman. Everything else you are going to then bury in your front yard the wax, the leftover herbs, etc. So long as he continues to use that body wash and so long as he has this medallion that you will keep on him or the secret button that you've sewed into his clothes, he shall now overcome and conquer these matters. That's my recommendation to you. Let's see if Miss Kat and Mama, you have anything further to add here. Wow. Okay. I have a question. Um, you you mentioned at the beginning a a wash made with agrimony and bay, bay and, and some basil. Basil, thank you. Yes. <laughs> and what color is the candle? White candle. I've guessed. All right. Well, I did my best to take notes. Maybe someone else took better <laughs> notes. <laughs> That's what I got. Um, Countryman is known around these parts for just reeling these things off really fast yeah. because. He's so good. All right. I have yeah. really nothing. I have nothing no, else to add. That was so perfect. I love the idea of sewing a button into his clothes or on mm-hmm. his clothes. He'll never mm-hmm. know. He'll yeah. never know. All right. Very good. <laughs> That's very good work. And there is our bumper music. And next we get the tritone brought to us by our local Satanist. And then the free spell. LMC. You're listening to the LMC Radio Network, broadcasting out of Forestville, California, on the World Wide Web at LuckyMojo.com. LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include the Lucky Mojo Hooter Root Work Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurement, Sundays, 3 to 4.30, Mystics, Mages, and Magical Places with Reverend Art and Reverend James, Mondays, 4 to 5.30, the Crystal Silence League Hour with John St. Germain, Tuesdays, 5 to 6, the Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix LaFay, Thursdays, 1 to 2, and Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse, Fridays, 7 to 8, all time specific, add 3 hours for Eastern. All of our shows are available in archives at the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com, where you will see them listed by title and episode and with clickable links. Sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California, and online at luckymojo.com.
And now it's time for our free spell segment from our special guest, Mama E of ContraDoctor.com in Los Angeles. Take it away, Mama E. Thank you. Okay, this is a spell that is a little bit long, but I uh, put it on the, it'll be put on the chat so you guys can keep a copy. And it's how to break an ancestral curse. So first of all, identify the type of curse and the symptoms with a reading. Before starting the spell, cleanse yourself and your home. Use uncrossing or hyssop bath. Clean your home with Chinese wash, smudge with sage, and use holy water. And you will need the following items. First of all, compile the names of the family members affected. Find pictures if you can, names and dates of birth if known. If you can find a picture, at least get a name, and it doesn't have to be a correct name. You can put Grandma uh, Grandma Jane and Aunt uh, whatever, June. Pick one person from each generation, like a daughter, mother, grandmother, great-grandmother, and great-great-grandmother. This can also be done with the males of the family, or you can alternate, you know, grandpa, uh, mother, whatever. If you're doing this for your own family, make sure to include your own picture in the respective place. Now get a metal plate or a tray, and you can cover it with foiled paper, shiny side down, so that uh, it won't reflect back, but it's easy to clean. Now uh, get five white cinch size and five candle holders. Get a bottle of uncrossing oil. If you have access to the cemetery dirt from the grave of your ancestors, get about a quarter cup respectfully ask their permission before. Make sure the dirt is cleaned of grass and rocks. You'll need about three quarters cup of hyssop cut up, some white salt, it could be regular or kosher, and the other thing would be a drop of your blood if you're doing this for your own family. Now, on the metal plate, place the five photos of the ancestors in a circle. I like to lay them in order from older to younger. Leave space in the center, about three inches in diameter. Dab each picture with uncrossing oil in the five-point pattern. Name each family member as you dab their photo. Now, poke your finger with a sterilized pin or needle after washing your hands. Use a drop of blood to dab each picture. This is done to unite the whole family and you through their DNA. This might be excluded if you're apprehensive, but it will be stronger with the blood. Of course, this step is not done if you're working for others unless the client is present and willing to do it. Write the name of each family member on their candle. Use something sharp like a nail, uh, right from the wick to the bottom, because you want to cleanse or, you know, uh, uncross. Anoint each candle with uncrossing oil, again, from wick to the bottom. Candle in a candle holder on top of their picture. 
Now place the cemetery dirt in the center of the plate and pray for your deceased ancestors to help you clear the curse. If cemetery dirt is not accessible, put some hyssop in the center, a bunch of hyssop. Surround the circle of candles and photo with a line of the cut hyssop making a circle. Finally, seal the whole spell with a circle of salt, a little line of salt, to keep the work inside and to protect it. Once the spell is ready, light the five candles. As you light them, say the name of each ancestor that you're lighting. And read Psalm 51, verses 7 to 10. Ask the Lord to clear any and all ancestral curses sent family affecting the past, the present, and future, especially those taking part of the spell. And like I said, name every person whose photo is in the spell. Now, Psalm 51 is also included, and it says, Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity, creating me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now, you can add your own personal words to the spell, asking, you know, God to clear, you know, whatever is, uh, the problem with the family, and you can continue to pray as you, as the candles burn. Now, disposing of the remains, burn the five photos and mix the ashes with the dirt, wax, hyssop, and salt. Preferably dispose of it all at the cemetery where your ancestors are buried or if not, at a cemetery near you. And that is that. That is the end of the spell. So hopefully you will like it and, uh, you know, that, like that it is and enjoy so, it. That's so well done. Thank you. And I have nothing to add from that. As always, your spells um, are so traditional and so well thought out. And really, this is... A, Anyone who I'm going to remember, this is in this radio show chat archive. And if anyone wants help, send them yeah. here. This is good. Yeah. This is very good. Thank you for sharing that one. Oh, thank you. Wow. This is fantastic. Yeah. So fantastic. Yeah. Such a good spell. All right. Well, there's our musical cue. So it's time for us to begin to waltz off into the distance. Let's uh, turn this over to Reverend James. He's going to give us some announcements, and then I'll come back and maybe say a few words, and then we'll say goodbye. Thank you, Miss Cat and Conjure Man, and thank you, Mama E of ConjureDoctor.com in Los Angeles for being our guest this week. We invite you to join us next week when our special guest will be Stuart Palm of StuartPalm.com in Hong Kong, bringing us next week's tutorial. Once again, we've come to the end of another Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Root Work Hour, brought to you by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California. You can find Miss Cat via the Lucky Mojo Forum at forum.luckymojo.com and Conjurman at conjuremanconsulting.com in Mission Viejo, California. I'm your announcer, Reverend James, joining you from folkconjure.com in North Carolina. 
The Lucky Mojo Voodoo Root Work Hour can be heard every week live on Blog Talk Radio at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and the shows are available in archive via luckymojo.com forward slash radio show dot html. From all of us at Lucky Mojo, I'd like to thank you for being here and invite you to tune in once again this, once again next week at the same time when you will hear the familiar strains of the Memphis Jug Band playing the Jug Band Waltz. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you, Reverend James. And if you all can't get enough of the Memphis Jug Band playing the Jug Band Waltz, you can huh. always call the Lucky Mojo Shop at 707-887-1521 and ask to be put on hold because <laughs> it's our hold music. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, thanks very much, everyone in the chat, for coming out. So many people, I don't even think I can name them all, but you all know who you are. You did great being our chat friends. Thank you, Tony I. Wickway is up. <laughs> Redneck Mystic, Phyllis, Margaret, Greta, whatever, Reverend Art. <laughs> um, I, of course, Angela L., Analytic Witch, and Alyssa F. Mott. I don't know if I've named, Dr. Sweet, they're all just flowing past me so fast here, but Thanks, everybody, for coming out to the chat. And um, we'll be with you next week. All right, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.